Well, he lasted six hours on the cross. A lot longer than any average man would have, especially with those kind of torture methods. But we know he was no average man. He was the Messiah. In Matthew's gospel, he captures some of the last moments of Jesus' life as 3 p.m. is approaching. He says this, Jesus again cried out loudly and he breathed his last. And at that moment, the temple curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom. And there was an earthquake and the rocks split into pieces. At that moment, some of Jesus' friends, some of his followers, and maybe even some of his very own family members decided to get out of there. And they scattered because they weren't 100% certain if this guy was actually going to follow through in what he said he was going to do. That he was actually going to defeat death and raise from the dead. Then we pick up in Matthew chapter 28. It says, Early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Can I get an amen? That's why we're here this morning. <laughs> Friends, that truth is not just why we gather here on Easter Sunday. It's why we gather here every single week. We come here to celebrate new life. All because and only because. Jesus walked out of that tomb. And so I don't know if you noticed it or not, but something I want to kind of point out, when Jesus, when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross and he left his human body, it says the earth shook. And when Jesus was ready to walk out of that grave on Sunday morning, it says the earth shook. You see, there's something about the movement of Jesus that shakes things up, which is exactly what I want to pray for this morning as we get started with our conversation. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you shake the ground underneath our feet this morning. God, that you would shake us up and if need be that you would wake us up because there's a life that you have called us to. It's not about coming to a church gathering on Sunday, but it's about following your son Jesus because you went to the greatest extent possible to send him to, to give his very own life so that we could be forgiven if we will simply receive it. And so, God, that should change and challenge our lives. Would you help us to do that this morning? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me slow down for a second <laughs> and just say good morning and welcome and happy Easter. Incredibly grateful that you've joined us this morning. My name's Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. And I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. I want to say welcome to those that will be watching online today. Thanks for joining this conversation. But a special shout out to all of our guests that are joining us today. Thanks for being here. You're actually joining us in the middle of a series that we kicked off a couple weeks ago called Messy Grace. And we kicked off this series around a conversation how we want to be a messy church because messy church is actually what you get when you stop pretending. Something we're trying to do here at Trace, a culture we're trying to build. We don't want to pretend because you can't hide and heal at the same time. It's something we say often around here. And then last week, Corey talked to us about the messiness of sacrifice and how sacrifice is messy because it always comes at a cost. But today what we're going to talk about is the messiness of forgiveness. 
Because forgiveness can get messy, can it? And so we're going to build this conversation around that kind of messiness. And just in case you're new to church and new to all this, let me say this quickly. The reason forgiveness is messy is because from the beginning of Christ's coming to the crucifixion of Christ to the resurrection of Christ, all of that was done so that we could one day be forgiven. But it wasn't a simple task. It was messy. And if you were to ask me some of the other components of why forgiveness can be messy, I think I would say these three things right here. Number one, it's unfair, right? Isn't forgiveness unfair? I mean, sometimes we are asked to forgive others, but it doesn't feel fair to us based on what they did. And so there's an unfairness to it. I would also say that it's often undeserved. Sometimes people don't deserve or we don't think they deserve our forgiveness, but we can also say that we really don't deserve the forgiveness of God. But he forgives it. He gives it to us. And the last thing I would say is this. It can be denied. Right. I mean, you can ask someone to forgive you or someone can ask you to forgive them and you can deny it, which makes this conversation around forgiveness messy. Interesting enough about these three things. These are three things that could also all be attributed to Jesus's life. Right. What happened to him was unfair. He didn't deserve it. And even his very own friends and closest followers denied him. I think it's possible that most of us in here probably know that forgiveness is important. But I also think it's very possible that we haven't fully realized and appreciated just how important it is. Because if you were to ask Jesus, I don't think he would just say that forgiveness is important. I think he would say it's foundational. Which leads me to the one thing for our conversation this morning. If our faith is not rooted in forgiveness, it is futile. I want to show you something that Jesus himself says on the subject of forgiveness that it's not easy to hear. Many would call this one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And even though it's not easy to hear, what he does do for us is give us really good clarity on just how important forgiveness is. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's take a second here, and I want to talk to you a little bit, for those of you that are new here, tell you something about who we are here at Trace. One of the things that we're trying to do in creating a culture here is creating a culture of transparency. We want to have honest dialogue, and anybody that you ever see on this stage that's speaking, one of the things that we uh, hold as a high value is that transparency. We don't want to act like we're people that we're not. We're nobody different than you. We've got our own hurts and habits and hang-ups. And so I want to have a real moment with you right now based on what, what we just read. Can I ask an honest question? How many of you have never have had somebody that you did not want to forgive? Anybody? How many of you are sitting beside that person right now? No, don't, don't raise your hand. That will make the rest of your Easter Sunday go poorly, I promise. When I was younger, I had a friend named Todd Fryman. And Todd was a mischievous young man, to say the least. And uh, one day... We're hanging out with uh, some friends that were, there's both girls and boys that were kind of hanging out. And Todd comes up behind me and he pulls my pants down. He man underwear and all. And in that moment, just to help you fully visualize if you really don't want to go there, but kind of that, that full Monty moment is what I was experiencing at a young age. And so if I found out today that Todd had some horrible acne problem and lived in a van down by the river, I'd kind of feel good about that. I don't know, is that, is that bad for me to say that? But I think I'd feel kind of good about it. So, Todd, if you happen to be watching today, Jesus forgives you and he loves you, but I'm still working on it. So, 
Uh, that's where I'm at. Guys, so why is the subject of forgiveness so stinking important to Jesus? What's well, why many of you showed up here today, right? I mean, everything that Jesus said and did that led up to this moment where we see this take place, everything that he said and did was about extending us forgiveness. You see, God extended himself to us through the sacrifice of his very own son. And all the pain and all the suffering that was wrapped up in this moment right here was so that we could be forgiven. You see, Jesus' death on the cross, it accomplished everything. Don't miss this. Everything that was needed so that we could have a relationship with the Father and one day spend an eternity with him. After the cross, there was nothing else left for God to do. The ball was literally in our court, if you will. So why is forgiveness such a big deal to God? Because it cost him everything, even his very own son. This is why forgiveness can be said as the, it's the foundation of our faith. And if our faith is not rooted in forgiveness, then it is futile. I think we could probably conclude if forgiveness is that important to God, then he probably wants to partner with us, not just extend it to us to receive it, the forgiveness of our sins, but he probably wants it to be a part of our lives. And if he wants it to be a part of our lives, then he's going to partner with us through the power of his Holy Spirit to help us to, re to receive it and even learn how to extend it. When I was 16 years old, I got a really hard phone call one day. Let me back up to kind of lead up to that moment. You see, when I was younger, I grew up with a cousin that was the same age as me, and we were the youngest in our family, big family, a lot of cousins, and so we grew up kind of playing together and spending a lot of time together, and I truly loved and adored my cousin. She was a beautiful young lady, and when I get to the age of 16, I received a phone call one day that she had been brutally murdered. Random act of violence, wrong place at the wrong time. She'd been stabbed over 60 times. And I remember they caught the guy. I remember going to all the different court cases. They were putting him on, you know, trying to get the death penalty. And I just remember the hatred and the anger and even the rage that existed inside of me for this gentleman. And I remember sitting in the court, and I wasn't that far away from him, and just thinking, how quick can I get over these chairs and get my hands around his neck? That's where I was. Fast forward eight years, and I can assure you that a lot transpired in that eight years. God moved in and took residence in my life and began to cause a transformation inside of me. And there's a lot, to, like I said, there's a lot that happened in that eight years. But I found myself getting more involved in my local church and started to help with the high school students at that point in time. I'm about 24 years old. And they asked me one day, they said, Aaron, would you be willing to speak to the high school students on this particular subject? People hurt, but God heals. And it was over 300 high school students, and I was excited for the opportunity, so I said, sure. And so I sat down, and I immediately began to think of different things that had happened in my life that had caused hurt, where another person had caused me hurt, and this particular situation of what happened with my cousin was the first thing to surface. And so I began to sit down and write out what I was going to convey to these students. But as I was writing these things down, I noticed that something was different. Something was, and in my mind, I'm thinking, is it just because of how much time has elapsed that is causing me to not feel the same thing that I used to feel about this particular situation? And it literally took two or three days as I'm preparing this message where God finally revealed to me what was going on. 
I had forgiven this gentleman. Don't miss this. I didn't want to. I didn't ask to. I didn't pray for God to help me. But there was something that happened in my life as I genuinely wanted to become the man of God that he created me, for he created me to be and live out the purposes that he had for my life because I'd already made a wreck of my life up to that point. <clears throat> and because my eyes were fixed on him and I was doing my best, still messing up every single day, but doing my best to follow him, there was a transformation. Something happened inside of me where God was allowing me to lose sight and let go of things that are of no value to him. In his currency, he doesn't want to deal with bitterness and hatred and rage. And so by simply fixing my eyes on his son Jesus and following him, he removed that from my life, even though I didn't ask him to. Some of you are in here today, and you've got your own messy stories. And I, I think... A way to describe kind of what God did in my life, and I know that he can do in your life, is through this verse in Romans when Paul's writing the church in Rome, and he says this, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation means if you'll receive it, God will fully forgive you, meaning there's no more condemnation for you. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving, please don't miss these two words, the life-giving, not the life-taking, but the life-giving spirit has freed you. This is exactly what was taking place in my life. God was freeing me from things that were holding me captive that freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So let's talk about your messy story. Many of you walked in here today, and you know there's this kind of mess. And, and maybe it revolves around the subject of forgiveness. And maybe you would define it in these three categories. Maybe they're different hurts or habits or hang-ups. And maybe you walk through those doors today and you're really just hanging on. Because something happened to you along the way. A wound. And it's been really hard for you to let that go. Or maybe you did something to someone else. And you haven't received the forgiveness that you would hope to have received. And you know you messed up. Man, you screwed up big time. And you would hope that that person would forgive you and it just hasn't come your way and it's just kind of created a mess of your life. Friends, God wants you to live in freedom that only comes on the other end of receiving his forgiveness, but also on the other end of being able to extend it as well. And it's messy. It's messy. It's messy because oftentimes these situations of messy forgiveness, they're undeserving. They're unfair. But friends, can I remind you this morning, the very definition of grace, it's the unmerited favor of God, which means there's nothing you can do to earn it. And there's nothing that we could ever do to deserve it. But he still gives it to us if we ask for it. That's why the tomb is empty. I've got a friend of mine named Katie who came up to me one day out in the lobby. I still remember this. And she said, Aaron, I want to share with you my story. And I'm a story junkie, so I'm thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear it. And she sat down, and she began to tell me about this messy story of forgiveness in her life. And as she's telling me this, there was a small part of me, again, just being honest this morning, where I'm like, how could you forgive that? And then I'm reminded of what God's done in my life and what I've seen him do in so many of your lives. And I know that's just kind of what he does. 
He's in the business of changing lives. And so without me saying anything further, I actually want you to hear from Katie herself. This is Katie. My name is Katie, and my story is messy. My story is about how God turned hurt and hatred into love and joy. So I grew up in the church. I grew up knowing about God and knowing scriptures, and I gave my life to Christ when I was very young. I've never really questioned or doubted who God is. He's just always been a part of my life. My parents got a divorce when I was two, and when I was five, my mom married my stepdad, so we moved into his house. We had been attending a Methodist church, and then all of a sudden, we switched and began going to this very charismatic church. We started going there because after we had moved into the house, um, some really bizarre things started to happen. And it got to the point where we had to have the pastors come in, anoint the house, pray over it, and kind of help to rid the house of this weird, crazy stuff that was going on. I'm telling you all of this because it does play a role in my story. There was this darkness that was in our house, and because of that, it allowed a door to be opened for sin to enter in. So the same time that the spiritual warfare stuff was happening was the same time that I was molested. It happened while I was sleeping. Out of nowhere, I just woke up and I felt a figure standing over top of me. I quickly realized what was going on and that the person standing over me was my stepdad. God gave me quick thinking in that moment and I pulled my hand away and pretended to roll over in my sleep. Thankfully, he immediately left and the next morning is when I told my mom what had happened. She believed me and we took all the appropriate actions. My stepdad went to jail. There was a long period of time, like a probation period where he was not allowed to be anywhere near me. Um, but then he eventually came back to live with us. When that happened, I was upset. I was um, just extremely angry and there was bitterness and hurt and complete unforgiveness that I showed to him for years. I was unhappy and there was no joy in me and I knew that in order to fully heal, I needed to forgive him. As Christ followers, we are called to forgive, but it's not that easy to forgive somebody who has hurt and wounded you. I was a victim and I stayed there in that sorrow for a long period of time. So from the time that he came back to the time that I forgave him, a lot of different things happened in my life that brought me to that forgiveness. Uh, one included, I had been reading this book called Captivating when I felt this strong urge to go outside. And I found myself walking around and eventually lying down in the field. And I started to cry out to God. And I just told him about the unforgiveness and the worry that was in my life. And I just felt God's presence with me in the field that day. And there was just this overwhelming sense of peace about everything that I can't really explain. It was as if I was being hugged tightly and the only thing that kept going through my head was the words beloved. And I just kept hearing, you are my beloved. 
Um, and that's when I made that decision to forgive my stepdad. Can we give it up for Katie and her courage to share her story? Katie's now a greeter at Trace. She stands out beside me most mornings, Sunday mornings, as we say hello to people coming in because God has replaced and freed her from that bitterness and replaced it with joy. I don't know your story, but I do know many stories like yours, whatever it may be. And what does this have to do with Easter? Because there's an empty tomb, no matter your story, there's hope. There's hope that you can be freed from those very things. And by fully receiving the forgiveness that only God can give, friends, it will lead to a type of freedom that will remove things from your life. Like I mentioned a while ago, the different hurts and habits and hangups, but maybe for you it's more like wounds and weariness and at times even a sense of worthlessness. Friends, God didn't send his son Jesus to go and die an excruciating death on a cross and walk out of a tomb so that you could live in this perpetual state of suckiness. Tweet that. But he died and he rose from the grave so that you could live with hope no matter your story. No matter how much you feel like these things are going to be with you for the rest of your life. And you know why I can say these things with so much conviction? Because he's done that in my life. And I watch him do it in the lives of others. Friends, because there's an empty grave, there's hope. And on the other side of that kind of forgiveness, on the other side of that freedom that, is, that comes with that kind of forgiveness, you're going to receive a type of peace that Paul talks about when he writes to the church in Philippi and he says, it's a peace that surpasses understanding, meaning it's not even going to make sense to you. But it'll guard your heart, he says. I'm looking for that kind of peace in my life. And I know many of you are as well. This is why forgiveness is the foundation of our faith. And if faith is not rooted in forgiveness, it's futile. And without faith, I will remind you something the Hebrews writer said, without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. Let me take a moment here, kind of a timeout moment. And I just want to talk to some of you that walked in here this morning. Maybe you came here today and you received an invitation. It's your first time here. And maybe a neighbor or a friend or family member invited you. Maybe you saw something on Facebook or you got a flyer. And you walked in those doors today. Because you know that hope exists, even though you haven't been able to get your fingers around it. And maybe for you, you've been kind of showing people on the outside that everything internally, everything going on in your life, like you're okay. But you know you're not. And so I'll say something that I said earlier again. I, I want to encourage you this morning to stop pretending because you can't hide and heal at the same time. And when you stop pretending, God can actually come into your life and do something amazing. But as long as you act like everything's okay, it's hard to... Allow him to come in and bring that kind of healing in your life because you can't hide and heal at the same time. I know it won't be easy. And for those of you that need to hear this, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Or maybe you're here today and you would find, you would define your faith, maybe you define your life right now where you got one foot in, meaning you're kind of flirting with this idea of faith. You're kind of flirting with temptation. I mean, it sounds good, but maybe you would describe yourself as a fan who's kind of been on the sidelines. You haven't been become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, and so you're still kind of just kind of one foot in. And if that's you today, and I get it, you're here on Easter Sunday, so I might not ever get to see you or talk to you again. And so if I can take this moment and just encourage you and tell you, stop flirting. Like, stop flirting with 
faith. Stop flirting with this idea of receiving God's forgiveness and be fully devoted, all in. Get out of the sidelines. Stop being a fan and become a follower of Jesus. He walked away from a grave so that that could become your reality. I know what it's like to live that kind of life. To kind of know and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but to continue just to live my life my own way, to kind of lead my own life. I ended up with, in jail with my second DUI living that kind of life. It's no way to live. It's not what Christ has called us to. Friends, stop flirting with faith. Stop flirting with this idea of forgiveness. And go all in and receive it today. Ask Jesus to be the one and only leader of your life and have an honest dialogue with yourself. You know, those of you in here, you know who you are. You've been leading your own life. How's it going for you? How's that going for you? Friends, if our faith is not rooted in forgiveness, it is futile. We're here today because of this right here. This is the empty tomb. And you can read history literature that talks about the reality of this that doesn't have a Christian bias. This event took place. There was a real man named Pontius Pilate, a Roman leader, and he crucified Jesus. And then three days later, his body was missing. And so there's two major conclusions. They either stole his body or he really walked out of that grave. Don't miss this. If he really walked out of that grave, then this really became the doorway to your forgiveness. But he's not going to force you through it. He's going to invite you into it. But it really is your choice. You can walk through it or you can avoid it. It's completely up to you. But I just want you to leave here today wrestling with the extent that he went to so that this door could become open for you. His grace, his messy grace, his forgiveness, it's extended to you, no strings attached. All you have to do is accept it. And if you accept it, then I want you to wrestle with this next statement right here. The forgiveness of Jesus should lead to some kind of follow-through from us. It should be a natural response that there's follow-through in our willingness to live out our life with thanksgiving because of what he did so that we could be forgiven. It should lead to some kind of follow-through. So let me give you three potential steps that you could take today. I hope that you'll at least grab onto one of these because I have no doubt that every single one of us would fall into one of these three categories First and foremost, for those of you that have never put your faith in Jesus, let today be the day. What better day than the day that we're actually celebrating the resurrection of Jesus himself, where you say, you know what, I'm tired of leading my own life because it's not even getting me to where I want to go. I'm going to hand the keys over and let Jesus become the leader and Lord of my life. And I'm going to steal some words from a song that we're going to sing here in just a few moments where he says this, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it but he still gives himself away to you. All you have to do is receive it. The second action step may be for, for others in here, and maybe you've accepted that forgiveness, and you're already a follower of Christ, but you know that there's, there's something that's happened in your life, some kind of hurt, habit, hang-up, some kind of wound that's let, kind of held you captive, and there's something that you need to let go. You've received the forgiveness of God, but you're maybe not extending it to, as freely as he's given it to you. And I know this is not easy. And I'm not even asking you to pretend that those things never existed because I think that would be unhealthy. But I'm asking you to wrestle with this idea of letting those things go so that you can receive the freedom and the peace that's on the other side of that kind of forgiveness. And then the last action step, I would say to those of you that have kind of had one foot in, 
kind of halfway following Jesus, but at the same time, you know you're still leading your own life. Become a fully devoted follower of Christ today. Listen to me. You're going to screw up every day. That's the beauty of his grace. It's the unmerited favor of God. You don't earn it, but he still covers you with it. And maybe your step today is actually getting baptized because you've known who Jesus is. You've been convinced who he is. The tomb, you believe, is really empty because he walked away from it. But for whatever reason, you've never taken that step of obedience to be baptized. And if that's if forgiveness that came from the, the empty tomb, if that is true, it should lead to follow through from us. And Jesus makes it clear the first thing that he wants us to do is to get baptized, to, to, to show a representation that he has washed our sins away so that we can be fully forgiven. Some of you maybe were baptized as babies. And that's awesome that your parents made that decision for you. It really is. But when we read the scriptures, we don't ever see babies be baptized. And so we would encourage you to do it the same way that Jesus did it himself when he went to John the Baptist and allowed him to baptize him. There's something about walking in obedience to Christ that allows us to experience the fullness of the forgiveness that he has to offer. But you got to do it his way.